Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Establish the Edge. I'm your fill-in host, Drew Dinkmar. Once again, here in place of your usual host, Mike Leone, who is still vacationing in Italy. I will return to the fill-in occasional honored guest situation with me on this podcast once a year. Next episode, you'll get Mike Leone's dulcet tones back in your ears then. But while I have the mic, I'm here to talk about unclear projection situations and positional uh, battles. I've got Mark Dankenbring and Jack Miller, the projecting gurus themselves, to join me, the guys who spend their day in the spreadsheets adjusting target shares and carry shares half a percentage point at a time, moving ADP around the industry at their fingertips. And they're here with me to talk through these unclear projection situations. Jack, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, you know, a, a glamorous life that Mark and I lead adjusting, you know, <laughs> Giants wide receivers by 0.5% target share at a time every every day. Um, and, and we're not going to talk about those guys today, but I'm excited for the six position battles that we do have um, on tap. So happy to be here. Beautiful. Mark, how are you doing? Doing great. We're less than a month from uh, NFL football kicking off, which is pretty awesome. So, I mean, yeah, excited to get into some of the mystery situations here that could provide some upside and season long face football leagues. Beautiful. Yeah. These, these are situations that if you can get right, you can potentially unlock some hidden value because right. The markets are going to have their own assumptions. And in a lot of ways, our current assumptions are impacting those markets as the projections work that these guys and Mike Leone do are highly regarded around the industry and do tend to shift ADPs. But We'll talk through some of the different ways that these things could shift, maybe be a little bit different than what we're projecting and who that might unlock. So that if you wanted to take on those positions in your own drafting that, hey, I think this situation is going to shake out this way, you might be able to get ahead of value uh, on where players are currently being drafted. So, Mark, let's start with you. Let's start with the Baltimore wide receiver room. We've got Odell Beckham coming over as an offseason signing. We've got Zay Flowers, the rookie drafted in the first round. Rashad Bateman working his way back uh, from the physically unable to perform list. Injury. Depth with Nelson Aguilar, Devin DuVernay. This wide receiver room, the market is giving most of the credit it was at the beginning of the year to all three of these guys kind of equally. Basically, ADPs were pretty even between Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, and Rashad Bateman. As camps have developed, they've been leaning more and more towards Zay Flowers because he's the rookie, the younger player on the field showing out while Bateman is still working his way back. What are your thoughts on the fragility around projecting this Baltimore wide receiver room and how are the different ways that it could go for people to take advantage of? Right. So as you mentioned, there's there's a handful of moving parts here. You have the new offensive coordinator and Todd Monken, who has said you know repeatedly that he plans to come in and spread the offense out and speed it up. Uh, which will lead to more pass attempts. And then we have the two new weapons in Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham. So we haven't really seen kind of this offense operate yet at all, which just naturally injects some uncertainty into the situation. You have Mark Andrews as essentially the de facto wide receiver one here who we're projecting for a, a mid 20% target share and to lead the team and, and targets pretty handily. But after that, the three wide receivers you mentioned right now in drafts are going within, you know, one to two rounds of each other. And we kind of have it projected a similar way. Um, Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham, we all have in like the mid teens in terms of target share, you know, anywhere between 15 and 17%. So 
we have uh, our, our projections aren't, aren't just, you know, necessarily base projections. We also have upside cases built in. So that's why even if we have a similar base target projection for Zay Flowers and Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers is a little bit higher in our rankings because, you know, there is a, a little more upside there with the uncertainty. But, um, you know, I, I think there's so much upside here just because we don't know how it's going to play out. You mentioned Zay Flowers has kind of become the wide receiver one in best ball drafts, but certainly if Rashad Bateman comes back here soon from his foot injury and, and looks to, you know, be performing well at camp and we get confirmation that he'll be in two wide receiver sets to start the season, then, you know, I, I think we're going to see his ADP rise quite a bit. Um, there's also just the, the path that the Ravens could play with three wide receivers on the field, you know, 75, 85, 80% of their snaps this season, which would really just kind of unlock this whole wide receiver core. So you know, it, it, it's, I, I'm not necessarily leaning into one person over the other. I think there's upside here with all three guys. Um, I'm certainly a little less bullish on Eldo Beckham just due to his age and the injury history that he's had. Um, but he did sign, you know, one year, $15 million deal, almost $14 million, which was guaranteed. So the Ravens are going to give him a shot here. Um, he's, he's performed well in the red zone when, with his brief time in LA. So again, there's just, there's a lot of hidden upside here. Um, if, if things break a certain way, you know, as I mentioned, our, our base target share for Zay Flowers is around 16%. If that gets up to, you know, 20%, which I don't think is out of the you know range of outcomes at all, then I, I think he'd probably be a, a round four, round five wide receiver talent, maybe even higher in drafts. So, um, you know, I, I like picking kind of any of these, these Baltimore wide receivers in redraft leagues. I'm, I'm good with, uh, again, I lean towards Flowers and Bateman. Uh, just just because I do think there is a little more upside there due to their youth, but certainly uh, ton, tons of passing game upside here with the Ravens and how we're expecting them to play offense this season. Yeah, and I, I think conceptualizing how far these players could move up the rankings board, if you looked at things from an end of season and we we flashed forward uh, to that end of season, I think fourth, fifth round makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Mark Andrews there is the target hog. That's another path, though. If something happened to Mark Andrews, we've not we are very excited about Isaiah Likely, but we've not seen him be able to command that level of target share that Mark Andrews has. So, Jack, what are your thoughts in terms of how high? guys could go and if you were to kind of like quickly run through like ceiling case scenario for these guys like zay bateman have a similar ceiling case and then odell ceiling case you think a, a little bit worse or do you think they all have the same ceiling case in terms of how far at the end of the season if we flash forward we could see them in the rankings yeah i think that zay and bateman would be um, a little bit higher than odell just because they're more of a black box at this point whereas odell um, is getting up there in age had a share of injury concerns maybe not the same player he used to be so Odell, um, a good season, just kind of spitballing here would maybe be like fifth, sixth round value. Whereas, I mean, for for Zay, I think like a Garrett Wilson type season is the absolute ceiling. Um, maybe that's too close to like a 99th percentile outcome. Whereas maybe when we talk about ceiling, we're talking like 85th. Um, yeah. So so like third, th three, four turn um, maybe. But But with these rookie wide receivers, like we haven't, seen them and we've seen so many over the past few years just kind of explode um so i don't really want to like put a, a like i don't want to say like zay flowers if he smashes he's going to be like a third like a you know 35 to 40 overall type player um because there probably is room for him to exceed that um and same with bateman because even though he's been in the league for for a little bit longer uh we we still haven't seen like that full season um from him 
Um, so if this passing offense does what we expect on, under Munkin, I, I think Flowers and Bateman have pretty strong ceilings. Um, and then Odell, probably a little lower, but he's also going later. Um, so it, it kind of balances out in that regard. Yeah, and obviously these these seasons individually are individual ceilings from from them. For it to happen, one of these guys would have to emerge among the other guys. That means the other guys would probably take a hit in terms of uh, where they're being drafted currently, or you would need some sort of injury to Mark Andrews to maybe unlock two of them to be able to do that. But this is a, a zero-sum game uh, when you're talking about the same team and same uh, positional group. So the upside uh, on the hands of the use there. Jack, let's move to another wide receiver situation with a lot of uncertainty. The Kansas City Chiefs, we saw last year a little bit of a wide receiver by committee approach after moving on from Tyree Kill. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster on that one-year deal. He performed fine uh, is, is kind of the best way to describe Juju's season last year. Remove him from the mix this year. You have guys like Sky Moore who underperformed last year. You have Kadarius Toney, who's had a hard time staying on the field and staying healthy, but earned a bunch of targets when he has been on the field. You've got Rasheed Rice, who they invested uh, an early pick in this year. So a lot of different depth pieces. There's also still Marquez Valdez-Scantling around, still Justin Watson around, Justin Ross back off of injury. So a lot of wide receivers here. We know the Kansas City Chiefs are going to score points, and they're going to score points through the air. Who are you looking at as potential breakout candidates from this wide receiver group? I think the two that are most intriguing to me are Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice. And that's kind of, um, I, I guess, for the reasons I just talked about with Zay Flowers and Bateman, where they're more of a black box. Um, and, and, you know, it could, like it could be anything. It, like, we don't really know who they are. And maybe that just means that they're not going to be anything. But I'd rather have that than someone like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who was in a huge role last year and still only had a 12.4% target share. Um, and then... It, in Green Bay two years ago, MVS had a 14% target share and a pretty depleted um, receiving core. Uh, I, I feel like at this point, my MVS has been in the league for five years, um, and, and he's never exceeded 690 receiving yards. I think that he's a, probably a pretty good bet to like outperform his ADP in a vacuum, but does he have the ceiling that we're really looking for? I'm not so sure. Um, whereas the guys like Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, they have a lot more upside. So especially if you're in one of these managed leagues where you can super easily just move on from someone um, and, and cut them. If Rasheed, if it's week, week six and Rasheed Rice is getting the Sky Moore treatment and, and barely seeing the field, it's easy to just move on from him um, as opposed to something like best ball where maybe someone like MBS has value. Um, and, and Tony, I think is interesting i feel like at this point honestly everyone has their opinions on tony and like anything i say isn't really going to have um, an impact maybe you think he's going to play you know six snaps a game this year and then get hurt in week four and miss the year and maybe you think he's like some you know generational level movement wide receiver who can just do anything um i'm a little scared off he's already injured um he was in such a limited role last year he's been getting hyped up all off season but that's kind of the type of thing we've seen before from tony and he's never um ever been in a full-time receiving role so more in rice uh just for the range of outcomes especially in managed leagues where you can cut someone are the two i'm interested in um you brought up justin watson he's definitely going to see an annoying amount of snaps he was on the field a ton last year um especially on like he was getting a ton of snaps and i think he's probably their preferred option in run blocking and he's also Andy Reid said uh, they're starting Gunner right now. So even if just for special teams purposes, he's going to be active. 
And Justin Ross, I think at this point, um, is probably on the outside looking in um, in terms of being active on game day um, or even making the 53-man roster. So I'm not super interested uh, in him. But in managed leagues, it, it doesn't hurt to take him with, like, you know, your last round pick because if he gets cut or if he's inactive for week one, it's easy to move on. Um, and then in best ball, Justin Ross is definitely not someone I'm taking just because there's a chance that you're taking a zero the entire season. In terms of, you know, flash forward, look at where these guys could potentially rank if the season went right. What are your what are your optimistic cases for guys like Skymore and Rashi Rice in terms of round value that they would be returning back for their drafters? Yeah, I think maybe that like early fourth round territory. Um, the thing you would need with with Skymore and Rice is for them to prove that they're talented enough that the Chiefs stop doing that rotational um, thing that they do the whole year because the, like they're, they're, last year we saw where none of the guys were weekly fantasy starters and Patrick Mahomes won MVP. So if you're buying into Skymore and Rice, you're hoping that they're just good enough that they um, you know prove themselves as every down players and force themselves into that role, which is certainly a possibility. Um, because right now and, and last year, it was kind of just a hodgepodge of mediocre talents. Um, so it, it is just a bet on talent with those guys. And I'd say, you know, fourth round is probably a good estimate of, of their ceiling. Yeah. Dank, what are your thoughts on on where the ceiling outcomes uh, for those two players in particular? And if there are any other Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers that you think uh, have substantial ceilings relative to their current valuations? I think Sky Moore probably has the highest ceiling here among wide receivers, just based on him being in the second year. Um, you know, reports out of camper, he's he's taking pretty much all the snaps with the first team. So uh, while there is uncertainty around, you know, all the rest of the guys, I, I think Sky Moore's role is is uh, relatively secure at this point, all things considered. So I, I would think, yeah, his his ceiling could probably be end of fourth, early fifth rounds. Um, you know, I. I, I while there are so many names here and obviously we want to invest in the Kansas city offense, I'm, I'm still not completely sure like how high the ceiling target share is for a single wide receiver here. I would think maybe in the, you know, 17 to 18% range, you kind of mentioned Juju was, you know, we, we had these huge expectations for him last year and he finished the season right around a 15% target share. Um, so I think sky Moore could, could maybe get a couple percent higher than that, but I'm not sure really anyone, uh, here, you know, barring a Kelsey injury could exceed that 20% mark. So it's not quite as high as um, like the Baltimore receivers we, we talked about in terms of their potential ceiling. Um, but certainly, you know, these uh, the Kansas City wide receivers are cheaper than Baltimore. So you can still get a few rounds of value. Um, but I'm not sure if, if like the ceiling is necessarily like a third round wide receiver um, after, after this year. Yeah. Let's keep it with wide receiver groups and Mark, a team that you talked about in our last podcast in terms of undervalued offense offenses, the green Bay wide receiver room. This is one that has a lot of youth in it with Christian Watson sort of leading the way here in his second year. You've also got Jaden Reed, you've got Romeo Dobbs, um, but not a ton of depth to it. So a lot of youth, not a ton of depth. That sounds like a good potential area to take swings at, what are your thoughts on this Green Bay wide receiver room? This is one of those scenarios with projections that it's kind of hard to not get ahead of yourself. You know, you see um, that Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, and Jaden Reed are expected to be 
three wide receiver set. And we, and we certainly have it projected that way, but we also still have a decent amount of targets, about 30 targets for the whole season that are given to unlisted wide receiver, because, you know, we're not really sure, as you mentioned behind them, who's really going to emerge. Um, they have names like Samori Torre, Dontavion Wicks, um, you know, Grant Dubose, like, you know, kind of guys that, uh, the average Joe would have no idea who they are. And, and it's hard to, you know, one thing in projections, we don't want to just overload players with volume because we're, we're like, oh, the, you know, they're they're clearly going to be on the field all the time. Who else is it going to go to? That That's kind of a dangerous game to play in projections. Um, and so even if we have it a bit muted, you know, we're still ahead of ADP on pretty much all these wide receivers when it comes to best ball. So that's kind of why I, where I see the value. There's, there's even some hidden upside just if they – if uh, those three wide receivers I mentioned are the ones on the field, you know, almost all the time, they're, they're probably going to exceed the target share that we've given them as a collective group. Um, and I mentioned on a few previous podcasts that we've done here on Establish the Edge that I, I think this offense could be a little bit more up, up tempo and more voluminous than we've seen in previous years with Aaron Rodgers, who is, you know, more efficiency based. Um, certainly they scored a lot of points, but um, I think the volume here for PPR leagues with a guy like Jaden Reed um, or even Romeo Dobbs, if he does secure that outside wide receiver role, could be pretty high. And then they're just cheap as well. So I, I like kind of targeting these guys based on their price. You know, where we have them currently projected, I think, is fair with room for upside. Um, and then when you look at, you know, the tight end position, Luke Musgrave was was drafted in the second round by them and is an elite athlete at 6'6", 250 pounds. Um, you know, training camp reports have been that he's – steadily been with the first team. So I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity to go around here. It's so much unknown outside of, you know, the running backs here and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, pretty much everyone um, is, is, you know, going into this new system. So I think there's some hidden upside here. And as, as we keep mentioning with redraft, if you draft someone like Jaden Reed and he's not getting the snaps we're expecting, then you can easily kind of cut him and move on based on the price you had to pay. Yeah, also a division that should provide plenty of shootout potential. The Bears' defense is being rebuilt through free agency in the draft, but has a lot of work to be done on it. Detroit's defense really struggled quite a bit last year, as did Minnesota. So some favorable matchups in favorable conditions as well with Minnesota and Detroit. But yeah, I'm really glad you brought. I'm really glad you brought that up because I I just love like targeting the NFC North because of that. It, it seems like all these games are almost gonna you know, devolve into shootouts because uh, each team has, has a uh, maybe outside of green Bay has a more explosive offense than they do a stout defense. So um, I'm, I'm kind of expecting shootouts throughout the season within this division. Yeah. yeah. I, I just wanted to jump into Jaden Reed's ADP really surprises me right now. Like Mark said, I think we have pretty conservative inputs and, and compared to his underdog ADP, at least we're two rounds high. Um, he, he was, a productive as a freshman at Michigan state. And then he got drafted in the second round and he's being drafted like 40 or 50 spots below a guy who's one year removed from being a day three pick and then had um, pretty average, uh, if not below average efficiency as a rookie. And I think Romeo Dobbs performed admirably being thrust into that situation coming from Nevada as a fourth round pick. Um, but Jaden Reed has significantly better draft capital as a better prospect. Um, so I, I'm really surprised, to be honest, that he's going so far behind Dobbs. Yeah, similar situations for Jaden Reed and like Zay Flowers in college as well, where never had very good quarterback play that they were able to kind of elevate them. They were always the pieces that had to elevate the quarterback. 
Jaden Reed not to the same extent as Zay Flowers and was not as productive as Zay Flowers in terms of dominating target share and different things like that. So understand there's a meaningful gap between the two players. And obviously Zay Flowers is getting to play with Lamar Jackson this year <laughs> compared to Jordan Love. So understand the valuation gap between those two players, but a lot of similarities in terms of Jaden Reed having to kind of elevate the people that he played with in college. Jack, uh, one of the groups you want to talk about here is as a collective group, my highest exposure group in best ball drafts this year. It's the Miami Dolphins running back room. Um, I'm very, very excited and optimistic about the Dolphins running back room in part because I think we've seen Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan offenses in the past continue to elevate efficiency from running back rooms over and over. And this Dolphin, Dolphins offense, as long as Tua can stay healthy, should be able to move the ball effectively down the field with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and create those easy opportunities. What are your thoughts on how this running back room shakes out? And what are your leans in terms of the three running backs that we're currently going to be talking about uh, this draft season? Yeah, for me, for me, it's really just like an archetype um, argument for, for all three of them. Like when we're talking about running backs going into double digit rounds, uh, these zero RP candidates, I want the guys who are going to have a week one role, um, are in a good offense and then have the potential to grow from there based on um, attrition to the other guys in their backfield. And I think all three of these guys kind of fit that mold. So at price, I'm fine with all three of Devin A. Chain, uh, Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. I'm not like loading up on all three of them at the same team, but because their upside cases are prohibitive, prohibitive um, to each other. But as individual bets, I think all three of them just make so much sense because A-Chain obviously um, has the best pass-catching acumen in that backfield, and he has the speed. Um, and we've seen McDaniel utilize that so well with Tyreek and Waddle. So that's that's really fun. Um, and then Wilson and Mostert, they're, they're both veterans at this point, but they both have familiarity with McDaniel because of their time together in San Francisco. And McDaniel specifically sought them out um, last season and then used both of them, whereas we saw how Chase, Dan or Chase Edmonds uh, got cast aside. Um, so I, I think there's a level of trust there with McDaniel. They're probably the two that are going to split uh, early down carries right away. And so maybe, you know, in week one, I don't think any of these guys are like fantasy starters or like guys that are going to jump into top 15 fantasy production right away. But Moster and Wilson have both had their fair share of injuries. Um, A-Chain, I mean, we've seen in, in San Francisco that some of these guys, the coaching staff falls in love with, like like Elijah Mitchell, and then some of them, uh, like Trey Sermon and um, Joe Williams, like some of them just just fall off the face of the earth. And with McDaniel, I mean, I, both of all of this is is in play, but that wide range of outcomes with a player on an elite offense um, is something that I'm pretty interested in. So it's basically just that archetype, um, rather than like a bunch of stats uh, that I could throw out about, you know, all of this and that. Yeah, and for me, it's also the fact that we saw, you know, Moster and Wilson individually have weeks for managed leagues as well. Now, my exposures when I'm talking about them are best ball formats that I've been drafting where I don't have to decide each week. But we saw plenty of weeks last year where it was clear who you were picking to play that week based on who was healthy and available with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And because they've been banged up, I think that, in a, in a lot of ways actually provides more value to them because right the end of season ranking, they might not necessarily blow away their ADP, but 
the per game value and the confidence that you'll be able to have when you start them and the upside spike weeks that you'll get occasionally from them because this offense will afford them plenty of opportunities to score touchdowns and create big plays that the, the passing game creates for them in the light boxes that they'll get to run against, I think is really, really um, something that I'm targeting heavily this draft season. So both in best ball formats and in redraft formats, I would love to leave most of my teams with one of these three backs on them and just say, like, I don't know which one is going to emerge and I don't know which one is going to emerge when, but I'm pretty confident this Dolphins running back position itself is going to be valuable. Mark, what are your thoughts on these three running backs? I'm with you guys that I I see some upside in this position group and kind of when you look at the Dolphins offense from last year and you know, the common, the common notes are that Tua struggled down the stretch because defense has kind of figured out their RPO system and, and we're able to slow it down a bit more. I'm expecting, you know, Mike McDaniel's counter to be more of, of getting downhill in the running game and kind of leaning on that a bit more um, and making that a more, you know, more consistent part of their offense. They also have a relatively weak offensive line. When you look at their offense, that's kind of the the biggest question mark. And I think to help alleviate some of those concerns and, and like the obvious dropback situations, you know, I, I think, um, you know, again, how we kind of saw, see with uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco and, you know, McDaniel now in Miami, I, I think they could lean a little bit more run heavy early in the season. And um, yeah, I just agree with you guys that uh, each running back is likely to, co- to contribute, you know, some spike weeks throughout the season and, um, you know, want to bet on this offense in general. Yeah. You, one thing you mentioned there that, again, this is not moving projections or anything, but their willingness to do creative different things and at times perhaps kind of protect the quarterback with the challenges of that offensive line. I could see situations in like third and seven, third and eight, where they're running draw plays to try to get six, seven yards and then make a decision on fourth and short to go for it. Um, and knowing that they're going to do that and in, in kind of doing some reverse play calling. So I think you're going to get a lot of favorable run looks for these guys, whether it's the attention that Waddle and Hill demand on the outside um, and the extra help that the safeties have to kind of play back. Um, I think you're going to get a lot of light boxes for Miami to run against this year. And obviously tough division that they're going to go up against with Buffalo and uh, New England and the Jets. There's going to be lots of tough matchups there. But I do think you're going to get real spike week potential from this running back room. So I'm glad it's one that we brought up and talked about because it's one that I'm really optimistic on this season. Another one uh, of these running back rooms that I'm really optimistic on this season, similarly, a three-headed you know, draft monster in Philadelphia. Mark, you're excited about the Philadelphia running back room. Let's talk through it with DeAndre Swift, Rashad Penny, and Kenneth the three running backs that are drafted most uh, aggressively. Boston Scott, you know, he's good for two games a year against the Giants. So, you know, if you're in, in best ball leagues, you know, you can you can, you can can draft him for the two games. Uh, just kidding. But what are your thoughts on the Eagles running back room this year? Yeah, well, I don't think I'm alone in, in being excited about this, you know, this trio and, and the potential upside it, it presents. Um, I do think, though, there is value in, in terms of where they're going. Um you know, DeAndre Swift has, has long been like a darling of the fantasy community ever since he came out of college, just with his dual uh, receiving threat and, you know, big play explosiveness on the ground and his acquisition this offseason from Detroit. You know, he he's people are confident that he's going to kind of be the lead running back here, or at least have the most upside going in around the sixth, seventh round in most drafts. And you mentioned Kenneth Gainwell, who I think is interesting. Um, this was mentioned on the the main event buy-in team that you 
Drew drafted with Adam and Sam Sherman that Kenneth Gainwell had the most running back snaps of any Eagles running back in the Super Bowl last season ahead of Miles Sanders, um, which, you know, is, is interesting to consider heading into this year. And then, you know, the the third head on the on the trio is Rashad Penny, who's just shown explosive traits whenever he's been uh, healthy. But um, I was kind of shocked to see that this is his sixth NFL season. Uh, just as a side note, that, I mean, I, I thought it was maybe like third or fourth, but I, I was pretty surprised to see it's his sixth year in the league. Uh, and then you mentioned Boston Scott, but anyway, there's there's so much upside here. If if someone were to you know take a majority of snaps and or stranglehold on the role here, just thanks to the Eagles' best offensive line in the league, we're expecting the Eagles to be a prolific offense once again this season. You know, there's been um, all these notes about how how little the Eagles had to pass in the fourth quarter and, and second half of games last year. And that's likely to kind of swing back a little bit towards the mean. And, you know, you know, we could see someone like Kenneth Gainwell or DeAndre Swift benefit from that if the Eagles are in more obvious passing down situations. So, um, you know, my my lean here, curious what your guys thoughts are and, and where you're leaning in this backfield. But my inclination is just to go with the cheapest one here. And that's Kenneth Gainwell um, mentioned his his usage in the Super Bowl. He has the most familiarity with the offense. And also, I think, um, you know, Swift also has the skill set, but I, I think he's capable of providing value in the rushing and receiving game, whereas Rashad Penny is clearly just, a, you know, early down rushing candidate. Um, Curious your guys' thoughts there on on the trio and if there's one you're targeting over the other. Yeah, for me, Gainwell is is the primary target, and then Penny, and then Swift. It's a reverse of cost. Um, it's also in terms of the way that I see the role shaking out. I think Gainwell and Swift are probably competing most with each other. Um, Penny is probably in his own world entirely. Where if Penny hits, I think there's really big upside because he's such a, an efficient runner, parked now behind the best offensive line in football. Um, but all three of them viable draft targets. Jack, how are you drafting it? Yeah, I view it similarly uh, as you guys in reverse order of cost, except I'm starting to come around a little bit uh, more on Penny. Um, so maybe I'd have those guys, Penny and Gainwell, closer to even. Um, I mean, with Penny, it is just a question of, of health, I think. Um, he's played 42 games in, in five years. Um, so maybe that's why Mark thought that he, he's going into his, his third <laughs> or fourth season, because he's, he's played two and a half seasons worth of games. Um, but he's been like high upper fives in terms of yards per carry and like Drew's now the best offensive line in football um, and a rushing quarterback, which is good for running back efficiency. Like his efficiency when he stays healthy is just going to be like otherworldly. Um, so I'm, I'm coming around on him just as an upside shot. Obviously uh, if you're playing standard or half PPR, he holds more value there compared to PPR because Swift and Gainwell are going to have all of the targets. Um, so that, yeah, but I, I think besides that, um, pretty pretty much the same thought as you guys i also think penny you know for managed league players is going to be the guy that you have the most confidence uh plugging into a lineup each and every week if all three of these guys are healthy because i think he's going to be the guy that's going to earn the pretty consistent carry share of things and obviously jalen hurts soaks up a ton of rushing touchdowns and that's the potential downside for rashad penny but honestly with penny a lot of his touchdowns aren't coming from the one yard line because he's usually breaking them out from, from deeper than that. So I, I, with you, Jack, I'm getting more and more optimistic on Penny uh, as we go. Yeah. I the, think, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to, to add in. Um, I think a lot of us are trying to build more wide receiver heavy teams in the early rounds and then kind of backfilling um, and making a, a committee um, of, of RB two RB three types. 
And we talk a lot about mixing archetypes here. And, and so I think if you're drafting, you know, a, a Devin A chain, uh, Tank Bigsby, these guys that maybe they don't have a huge week run role, but they have the chance to kind of bust out in the second half of the season. I think Penny makes a lot of sense uh, to kind of pair with them. We've talked some about uh, Jamal Williams being in that role, but with the, the Hunt signing, obviously there's a lot less confidence there. So Rashad Penny might be the poster child now for that RB that you can get in the double digit rounds that you can depend on for early season production while you wait for your other options to uh, break out ideally. Yeah, great point. Him and uh, Samaji P. Ryan are probably the two like late, you know, late single digit, early double digit round guys that I think early season production, you can feel pretty confident they can kind of carry you. You know, your wide receivers are carrying the squad you those usable weeks while you wait for the other situations to emerge last situation we're going to talk about here the carolina receiver room one that has been transformed they draft jonathan mingo they sign adam thielen in free agency along with dj uh, dj chark three wide receivers that were expecting to lead the way that all were not there last year they still have terrace marshall who has had a long leash to break out it hasn't happened yet they still have lavisca chenault who the fantasy community was really excited about a few years ago he's working in a little bit more with run-oriented plays as well as just kind of an athlete to use around the field so jack this is your wide receiver room to talk about bryce young the quarterback had uh, very, very talented wide receivers at Alabama during his tenure there, but in his senior season had less heralded wide receivers and still spread the ball all around and was able to make everybody kind of fantasy viable at different times. Obviously, the Carolina Panthers are not going to be the Alabama (laughs) Crimson Tide of the NFL and put up 50, 60 points a week, so it's a different situation here. But who can emerge from this wide receiver room in Carolina? Yeah, I think this is an intriguing room mostly because uh, I think Bryce Young is the most NFL-ready quarterback in this class, Uh, obviously the number one pick. And like you said, he still performed pretty well last year, even though they didn't have the wide receivers that he had for his his first couple years in Tuscaloosa. Uh, So a lot of this just stems from the fact that I think Bryce Young could be uh, at least passable NFL quarterback off the bat. And I think the three that you brought up in Chark, Thielen and Mingo um, are, are the three that are really going to flirt with fantasy relevancy this year. Thielen is the one at cost that I'm least interested in just because he turns 33 uh, in two weeks, uh, two weeks from actually, as we record this on August 8th, he turns 33 on August 22nd and his yards per hour run has declined in five consecutive seasons. For me, that's just as clear a signal as you can get that a guy is pretty much done putting up uh, fantasy relevant seasons he's relied on touchdowns a a couple of times within the past half decade in minnesota to finish as like a a wide receiver to or flex option but he he, i like bryce young but i don't think he's going to be the same like touchdown producer that some of those minnesota offenses were so i think Thielen is pretty much dust um which leaves chark and mingo chark i think is actually going kind of underrated uh right now he's had seasons uh he has a thousand yard season in his bag he had a season with 120 targets a few years ago and then followed it up with a season with 90 targets in uh 12 or 13 games so he's flashed the ability to earn triple digit targets before um and obviously last year uh not as much when he was competing with Amon Ross St. Brown and then TJ Hawkinson for part of the season plus DeAndre Swift plus he dealt with injuries 
so there's just a lot of target competition um, and a lot of stuff out of his control that was working against him. But now uh, he's been signed in Carolina, and he, I think he's going to be the wide receiver one there right away. Um, and then Mingo is just kind of the, the wide range of outcomes guy. Great physical um, specimen, got good draft capital, was a, a huge riser throughout the draft process. So I, I think Mingo is, is workable at cost two. Uh, and then not a receiver, but I think Hayden Hurst also is worth mentioning here. He had a 14% target share with Cincinnati last year um, when he was competing with T. Higgins, Jamar Chase for part of the season, Tyler Boyd, Mixon, P. Ryan, all these guys. And, and he, in his own right, uh, Hurst had his own share of injuries last year. He had a couple of games where he was limited snap share wise, and he still put up a 14% target share. They signed him to a pretty good deal in free agency, and uh, I think he's going way under the radar right now. We're projecting a 14% target share, and I think there's room for him to get up into that like 16 to 18% range um, based on the lack of proven options that they have. And, and Hurst has been kind of on a steady ascent the past few years after not really coming into the league um, and, and paying off that first-round draft pick that he was, he was given. Mark, what are your thoughts on on the wide receiver room and and Hayden Hurst here in terms of targets that you're looking at in in draft season? I agree with Jack that I'm mostly fading Thielen at cost currently. Um, And then my my favorite target here is DJ Chark. Uh, Jack kind of alluded to the seasons that he's posted previously and and the upside we've seen. And, um, you know, I did I did read an article on him recently and want to try to avoid all the training camp hype and best shape of my life and all that sort of, you know, uh, hype talk. But um, DJ Chark did say he, you know, tried to rush back from that ankle injury last year. I believe he had offseason ankle surgery, came back, did not play all that well early in the season, and then re-injured the ankle and, and missed games throughout the season and said he wasn't 100% healthy. And so I think just kind of in this setup with so many targets up for grabs and uh, Bryce Young throwing a great deep ball, I think DJ Chark is going to have some good games this year as long as he stays healthy. And I, and I think the uh, the volume upside is a little higher than what, you know, the market is indicating, uh, at his current ADP. So he'd be my top choice there. And, and obviously the allure of, of rookie Jonathan Mingo is exciting. Um, and then when it comes to Hayden Hurst, you know, we've seen tight ends and Frank Reich systems do really well and, and be a, you know, a, a constant target over the, over the years. And typically we see with rookie quarterbacks, them using tight ends as kind of the safety blanket in the offense. So while he might not be the most explosive player, uh, Jack mentioned his first round capital. He is, he is a, a, a solid athlete. I know was a professional baseball player at some point, um, or at least was p- potentially going down that track. So Hayden Hurst is a good athlete. And I, I think some solid volume will be coming his way just based on the competition. So I'm, I'm in on those three guys as well. Yeah, Hurst, Hurst, a nice late round tight end target in PPR volume oriented leagues, especially those uh, tight end premium leagues on FFPC. He's a pretty interesting undervalued target. DJ Chark, um, he is Pat Thorman's sleeper in our sleeper and bus article that you can get in the draft kit. Uh, draft kit pro $49.99 gets you all you need for best ball dynasty redraft rankings. So make sure to check that out over on establishedrun.com slash subscribe tab for more details there. Gentlemen, we have done it. We have finished the trio of pods in the absence of your honored host, Mike Leone. Uh, As he returns to the States, he will return to your headsets as well uh, in your earpieces. We've enjoyed the the three pod set that we've been able to do here. Uh, 
appreciate your guys' uh, takes and your guys' work on all the projections that you do here at Established Run. That'll do it for us for Jack Miller, for Mark Dankenbring, and myself, Drew Dinkmeyer. This was another episode of Establish the Edge. Mike Leany will be back in due time for another episode soon. Thank you.